remember as a young boy attending camp, summer camp, went overnight to a tender young age of seven, continued all the way through to 18 and 19. And I remember as a young boy looking at the counselors. We had counselors that stayed in the cabin with us that week, and they were, they were grown men. You know, they were, they looked like grown men. I thought, wow, here is a, a man that, that I have access to and I could talk to. And, and so I would observe all about these men, what I could learn from them. And, and they would do weird things like force us to take showers. You know, we, eight, nine, ten year old boy, showers not on the top of the list of things to do. And they're away from their parents. Nah, we're not taking showers. <laughs> I remember one time a, a guy came and uh, a counselor came in. He hadn't taken a shower all week. Finally, the counselor just picked him up and said, we're going to pick you up. And I and he put him, threw him in the shower, cut the water on. I said, you're going to take a shower. I thought, this is a strange, strange man making us do things like this. And, and they just had different ways. And And I remember, though, as I grew up, before long, I was a counselor in training, and next thing I know, I was a, I was the counselor. And I was sitting there giving devotions and looking at these boys who were wide-eyed looking at me. And I remembered what that perception was. And I understood perfectly why we forced the boys in the shower. Because along the way, I learned the beauty of hygiene. And that it was a good thing. And, and the misery of a bunch of 11-year-old boys. And they stink. And you got to sleep with them. You know. And yeah. You force them into the shower. And, and it, it helps you to gain that perspective. And, and uh, why you do what you do. Sometimes, I think that as we live life, we look at the things that happen in our life. And we hear about things of God and we think, God, why do you do things like this? Why do you allow me to deal with these things? Why are these things even in existence to begin with? And we wished in some way we could sit where God sits and to gain his perspective. Maybe it will help us go through what we go through. Well, what I would just bring to your attention this morning is that as we read Genesis 42, what we've got is God letting us sit where he sits. And we look down at Joseph and Jacob and the brothers, and we've got the benefit that God has and that we know what's going to happen. And we look at the misery that these men are in. And we get God's perspective and it helps us to deal with Joseph and Jacob and look and say, Jacob, if you could just know what's going to happen in the end. Joseph, if you could just know what's going to happen to all these things. Yes, you got taken away from your brothers. Your brothers sold you into slavery and you got to work in Potiphar's house and lies were brought against you and your boss believed those lies and, and put you in prison and there you remained for some intermittent amount of time until you met some people that could perhaps influence you but they forgot you for two whole years and all the while the brothers are doing happy and they're living in Canaan and, 
And you've got all this stuff that you're missing. And, and Jacob, yes, I know Joseph was your beloved son. He was the one that the son, the oldest son of your, your beloved wife, Rachel. And yes, you lost, you lost Joseph. And for 20 some years, yeah, you're in misery and you're in mourning. And all you've got are these brothers, are these sons of yours that are really miserable men. And that's all you've got. And you've got trouble after trouble. But Jacob, if you could just know. It's easy for us, isn't it? Well, I just want you to understand that in all the miseries and difficulties and adversities that you will go through, God's looking at your life from the end view. And just as we can just encourage Jacob and Joseph, understand God is sitting in that same seat looking at you. Just like one day I understood the beauty of, of showers. Because I could sit in the counselor's seat. There will be a day and time when we will understand the beauty of adversity. And what God is doing. But until that time, you just have to listen to your counselor. And what he has to tell you. And so... Keep that in mind as we read Genesis 42, because I think what you've got here is, is kind of a, a, a meanwhile. We've been following Joseph, tracking along with him, and we've seen now his rise into power, second command, and we're just rejoicing. And then in chapter 42, it's like, meanwhile, back in the ranch, we've got Jacob and his brothers and what they're going through. And in 42, you've got the, the mixing. Yeah, it all comes together. You've got Joke, uh, Joseph, you've got his brothers, and you've got Jacob all in one chapter. And in this chapter, I think that you're going to see three responses to adversity. Three different responses to adversity. And you need to understand that how you deal with life depends on what you believe about God. How you deal with life depends on what you believe about God. There's the old saying that uh, when you squeeze the toothpaste, then you find out what's on the inside. All right. And so if you look at adversity as that which squeezes you, then all that's inside of you is revealed. And what's inside of you is what you believe about God. It is easy for us to be joyful and happy when things are going according to our desires and wishes. But when things do not do that, then we reveal what we really think about God. And you're going to find that Joseph thinks differently about God than his brothers. And his brothers and Jacob think differently about God than Jacob. And I think that you will probably identify with at least one of these already in your life. And you perhaps would identify with all three of these at some point in your life. It is, understand, it is just the fact of life that life will not go as you want it to go. It will be miserable sometimes. And you will blame God. Because after all, if God is in control, then he is in charge of the details of your life. And he could have changed things if he had wanted to. But he did not. So what do you believe about is in control for his eternal misery? God is in control for his eternal misery. God, he's just one of those people. He just stills the joy out of life. And he is fatalistic in his nature. He says, you know what? What will be, what will be, if I will be bereaved, if I will pity myself, I will pity myself. You notice how he said earlier when he got the news about Jacob? He says in Genesis 37 verse 35, Jacob said this, 
All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol to my soul, son, mourning. Thus his father wept for him. At that moment when he got the word, he says, God, you've been my God. You've changed my name to Jacob, the one who struggles with God and prevail. You know all these things. You've been there. You've helped me through these things. And now you've brought me to this point where I lose my son. There is no more comfort to be found. I will not find comfort from you, God. I will not find comfort from these men. I want to mourn. I want to pity. Listen. It is good and normal to mourn. It is an expression of love. But it is a twist when you tell yourself you will be determined to be mourning. That for the rest of your days you will be a dour, sad individual. No matter what is done. It is his personal resolve to never get over. And I say get over. I mean to the fact that he will never find comfort in life. He will never find comfort in God. And he will never find comfort in the ones that God places in his life. And he is determined that God is working for his misery. Notice how he views life. He says, all these things are working toward my ill. (laughs) These things are going against me. And there is no turning back. That's funny. Romans 8 says something different. Romans 8 says, if you love God and you call it according to his purpose, yes, there are difficult things, there are bad things that are going to occur, but all things work toward good, the eternal good. Jacob laughs at such silly suggestions. No, that's not how life works. Life is hard. Life is tough. Life is sad, and then you die because that's how God made life. He could have made it different, but he didn't. He is angry at God, and I would say, as many of us often go, he perhaps maybe viewed himself as more superior to God, as better than God. It's not that we need God. God needs us to make him be better more loving that's how we view life we're colored in this by how we view god and so you got jacob being the classic eeyore oh it's all gonna be bad and we look at jacob and say jacob if you just knew joseph was still alive i mean you've been mourning for 20 some years you've got do you imagine how foolish jacob felt when he realized my son's still alive What? Joseph? He's alive? No, get out of here. You mean to tell me that for the last 20 some years of my life, I've been mourning, I've been discontent, I haven't had no comfort, I've been thinking about this, about God this way, and I've been mean toward my sons for nothing? Yeah. (laughs) No wonder at the end of his life, Jacob says, my life, has been long and they've been hard. Why? Because how he viewed God. How he viewed God. And notice what he says here at the end. Verse 37, he says, You're not taking Benjamin. 
All this has come against me. Reuben says, look, I'll kill my two sons if you don't bring them back to you. Put them in my hands and I'll bring them back to you. I probably didn't build confidence. I was like, if you think that about your sons, no, I'm not giving you Benjamin. But he said, my son should not go down with you. For his brother is dead. And he's the only one left. Now, what do you think that did for the other ten sons? You guys don't count. You guys just don't count. If harm should happen to him on the journey that you're to make, you would bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to Sheol. I can't bear it. I can't handle it. Listen. What would life be like if we viewed God in the way that Joseph viewed him? God is in control. And he's for our eternal good. I'm going to tell you, there are moments and times where you viewed him, or you will view him, as the killjoy of life. God is in control, but it's for my eternal misery, and we just can't trust him. You know what that tells us? It tells us that you love your way of living and your expectation of the way of life more than God. And I'm just going to pout. We, we get on that, but we're pouters. Because God takes something from us. And the fact of the matter is. Jacob loved Joseph more than God. The fact of the matter is. Jacob loved Benjamin more than God. Why? Because he sacrificed his view of God. To hold on to Benjamin and Joseph. What would it be like. If we knew that God was in control. And that he was working for our eternal good. If that was to happen. Every single one of you will endure what's coming your way. We're, we are not exempt from difficult times, bad times. If that's going to happen to us regardless. Then why don't we just take it with what the Bible says. And says okay. I may lose, I may lose a child, I may lose a spouse, I may lose my job, I may lose my way of life, we may lose our country, we may lose our life early. All the things that could happen to our life. And by the way, losing someone is not necessarily the worst thing that can happen. There are things worse than seeing someone die. But if the worst came, and you dealt with it, and all your neighbors saw you, and they said, you know what, I believe that there's a God, I believe that he's in control, and I believe that he is working in this for my eternal good. I don't have to enjoy this, just because Joseph believed this did not make him exempt from turning his head and weeping. With his brothers. But. It did determine what he thought about God. What if this world. What if this night Dell Saw. You guys. And me. Doing that. Do you know how we stand different? We stand different not in the prosperity of life. We stand different in the adversity of life. And we believe that God is in control. And that he's working for our eternal good. The rest of this world will believe that God may be or may not be in control. But if he is, he's doing for our eternal misery. Or he's doing it as for our eternal punishment. 
Friends, we have the opportunity to be vastly different. But I'm going to tell you that decision is not necessarily made in the midst of the adversity. It can. But more than likely, the groundworks can be made right now. What do you believe about God? What lens do you wear? I remember when I started getting glasses. I didn't want to wear my glasses all the time. Because I didn't look good, you know. But I would try rock climbing, bouldering, going through a creek and jumping from boulders to boulders. Do you know how difficult that is without your glasses? I'd carry my glasses in my pocket like this. And I'm like, well, you know. I look at that rock. Man, that rock looks like a far... I can't jump that rock. It's too far away. And I'm thinking, well, I can't get away. I got to jump a rock. There's no way to get back. I thought, well, maybe I'll wear my glasses. <laughs> Put my glasses on. I can see my... The rock's not far away at all. I can make it. What was the problem? What paralyzed me? It's how I viewed the rock. Listen, you may be in a place where you're paralyzed. Fear, adversity, challenges, people doing wrong against you, and you're paralyzed. Listen, what I would say is put your glasses on, see God clearly for who He is, that He is in control. Hear the Word of God, pray for the wisdom of God, and say, God, you're in control, and you're doing it for my eternal good. I believe the Word of James, I believe the Word of Romans 8, and I will take it as it is, and by your strength, I can see this rock for as it is. It's something that I can endure by your help and when people see you jumping rocks in life then they wonder where your strength comes from and god is glorified let's pray father it is just a fact of life that rocks will happen in life it is a difficult place that we're in lord we did our part in making life difficult Mankind in general, introducing sin, disease, death. Then ourselves specifically. We put expectations on life that it revolves around us. So consequently, it's easy for us to get angry because we're out of control. It's easy for us to pout because, well, life's not promised to go our way. But Lord, save us from the easy path. The way our flesh craves vengeance, anger, pouting. To say, God, fine, you be that way. I just don't want to live with you. I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to worship you. But God, I don't want to live that way either. Lord, help us in the moment of fear, in the moment of adversity, to remember you are in control and that you're working for our eternal good. Lord, let this word, this truth, so speak to our soul that how we view you would dictate how we live life. That we can be like Joseph and say, I fear God. Therefore, I will treat you differently. Lord, that we will confess our sins and experience your forgiving work, the work of your grace, so that every bad thing that happens in our life, that this, Lord, it may be a consequence, but you are not the eternal punishment, that the eternal punisher went to Jesus Christ, and we walk in grace. And Lord, that you 
love us. If we ever doubt it, we'll just look at the cross and know that you're not working for our eternal misery. Be glorified in us, Lord. We pray this in your name.